0: Well, I greet each one of you in the worthy name of the Lord Jesus. It's a blessing to be here. It's It's good to come to the house of the Lord and again exercise our faith, have our minds and hearts turn to the greatness of our God and to worship Him. Truly we uh, we have so many so many distractions that beckon and call us away but uh, the lord's day is meant to refresh us if you would turn in uh, John 10 turn in your bibles to the gospel according to John <laughs> This marks 30 times that we've done this since we started in the Gospel of John. We have turned to this great and glorious Gospel and found so many, so many great truths that Are meant to stimulate us to worship, to obedience, to reverence, to following. Uh, and this morning, this passage that we're looking at is no different. Um, if we remember the last time we spoke about the Good Shepherd, it was just simply titled The Good Shepherd here in John 10. And uh, we covered verses 1 through 16 in John 10. Uh, I want to, our text this morning will be from verse 17 to verse 30. And then let's begin reading in verse 7. Thus says the Lord, verse 7 of John 10. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill And to destroy, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Now for the text this morning, therefore, verse 17 My father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my father. Therefore there was a division again among the Jews because of these sayings. And many of them said, He has a demon and is mad. Why do you listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Now it was the feast of dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter, and Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Let's uh, let's ask the Lord's blessing on his word. Father, we come to you here, we humble ourselves at this great passage. We pray, Father, that you would speak to our hearts through this passage, that our faith would rise up and believe these great truths father that you would bless this word to us lord that you would ultimately be glorified in our lives father we thank you for this scripture we thank you for the gospel of john most of all we thank you for the life of the good shepherd and the life that he has given to us father we thank you for this Uh, This great truth in Christ we pray. Amen. So this morning, I would just simply title it, The Life of the Good Shepherd. The Life of the Good Shepherd. And early in this gospel, we read uh, almost two years ago, we considered the prologue of this gospel in in, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 14, but here in, uh, in 1 4, it says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. So, I mean, just an, an amazing, profound scripture that indicates that life belongs to Christ, and that life was an illumination to men. That from that life, illuminated, a man was illuminated and uh, made aware of everything. That in his life, so much is revealed to us. And he says this in a very similar way in John 8, in verse 12, where he says, Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. There again, we have life depicted as something that gives light, something that illuminates, something that is, that is shining in darkness, that is, that is quickening us and, and, and reveals things to us. The light of life, he says. Two times here, the light of life. In Proverbs eight in verse thirty-six, it says this way: "He who sins against me wrongs his own soul. All those who hate me love death." That is Proverbs eight thirty-six. And in Proverbs eight and nine, it basically personifies wisdom and that is the what it means but who whoever sins against me whoever sins against wisdom wrongs his own soul isn't that amazing that what we the the way we choose naturally the way the fool chooses is literally you sinning against yourself Sinning against what God has given you that is eternal and permanent. Your undying soul. You're sinning against that soul if you hate wisdom. And it literally says, all those who hate me love death. Now I found it very interesting that God has bracketed this evil holiday called Halloween with a teaching on the life of the, of the Good Shepherd and on Wednesday night we're going to have a teaching on death. Isn't that interesting to you? Because Halloween is a glorification of all things demonic and devilish and death. I find it interesting that God sovereignly has given us these by no orchestration of ours to bracket this wicked observance in this fashion. As I said, Proverbs 89 personifies wisdom. And is, wisdom is crying out in the, in the high place. It gets on top of a high hill and it calls out, For us to examine its virtues. And we know. That the wisdom that is from above. As James speaks of. Is actually. In the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is made into us. Wisdom and righteousness. Sanctification and redemption. All those who. Hate. Wisdom. Love. Death. That is. That is amazing. We don't even recognize that we love death when we are in that state. It's amazing. But this morning we are speaking in contrast to that, of the life of the shepherd here in John 10. As I said in the previous message, we considered the good shepherd. In verse 10, he came to us to give us abundant life. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they might have it more abundantly. That is the contrast that he says. The thief is that which is all that has come before me. And I believe that is speaking primarily of hypocritical, legalistic, um, pharisaical leadership that is was endeavoring to glorify themselves. Through their ministry. And it says they came to steal, to kill, and to destroy. In contrast to that, I have come to give life. I have come to give life. He gives his life in verse 11. He gives his life for the life of the sheep. The good shepherd sees the wolf coming and sacrifices his life for the sheep. That's implied there. As a hireling who flees when he sees the wolf coming, in contrast, we have the shepherd stepping in front of the danger and taking it upon himself and dying for us. He lays down his life for the sheep, verse 15. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Verse 16, other sheep I have that I must bring. I believe this speaks. This verse is speaking of the uniting of the Jewish and the Gentile people into one fold and into one flock with one shepherd. It is our unity is found here in verse 16. Other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring. And we spoke a little bit about the necessity of him bringing them. Because if they would not, if he would not bring them, then we would not come. It's just as simple as that. If he would not bring us, we would not come. Them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Where. the door was opened, the door of salvation, the door of the gospel was opened to the Gentiles. And that division between Jew and Gentile dog, as we read this morning, as Brother John shared with us about the Greek being considered a dog in, in, light, in, the, Jewish, in the Jewish eyes, now we have a unity of being in one flock and having one shepherd, the Lord Jesus So in the laying down of Christ's life is the bringing in of his sheep. If you think about here, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. And he had just gotten done saying that I lay down my life for these sheep. Now we come to this Passage of Scripture, actually our text this morning, I think, should be a passage that we turn regularly to. Why do I say that? I Simply because it has so much comfort for the believer. An incredible amount of comfort and solace can be gotten from these verses about our glorious salvation. Well, Let's begin here in verse 17. Think of this as, he, as we just came off of he, Christ saying, I lay down my life. I, I give my life for the shepherd. The wolf comes. I, I lay myself in front of him. I voluntarily surrender my life for the life of the sheep. Twice in the passage last time, we have that phrase, for the sheep. Now we come to verse 17. It says, therefore... Because of this, my father loves me. You know, Matthew Henry says, What an instance of the love of God for man, that he would love his son more for loving us. Isn't that amazing? That God would love his son more because his son loved us and lay down his life for us. Therefore, my father loves me. Because I lay down my life that I may take it again. A voluntary surrender. I lay my life down. You know, this, these, these verses are really, really pretty difficult for us to get our heads around it. Just think about that Christ was looking forward to his bringing in the sheep into the fold he is saying i'm i'm looking forward to my my laying down my life and then taking it back up again i'm looking forward to my dying and my resurrection this is this is where he's going in verses 17 and 18 because i lay down my life that i might take it again no one takes it from me you know we we do have a hymn that that uh, that sometimes bothers me. I'm not even quite sure the title of it, but the the words are in there. A victim led, and brother Enos, I'm sure you can think of what that verse, what that hymn is. But that's about all I can think of right now. A victim led, and I have often thought, well, Christ isn't a victim. A victim is one who, who. Um, Who has no power to avoid something detrimental to their life and health. He's a victim. But here we see, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. He has the ability to lay his life down. And he has, in the same sense as he has the power to lay it down... And die, he has the power to take it up again. What a mystery. What, what an unbelievable statement. If it were not the fact that in him is life. See, I, I think we, we sometimes just simply think that because we are alive, that, that God is like us. For us, when we lay our life down, that's it, isn't it? There's no recourse, as Ecclesiastes says, as the tree falls, so will he lie. But not with Christ. Because in him there's life. He is life. He has the... In him is the germ of life. In him is the is is the very essence of life this passage is telling us that he is completely self existent that he has that he's completely self sufficient that even death as we know it has no power over him no one takes it from me Hmm, but we, we see that man was the means by which he did die. He was killed by wicked men, it says in Acts. But here we're saying that no one took it from him. Though they came as a mob with swords and spears to arrest him. And we know the account there at the Garden of Gethsemane. Oh, but it was Christ just simply laying his life down. He could have, remember, he could have called legions upon legions of angels. He could have called fire down. Or he could have just simply withheld his hand and they would have fallen dead in front of him. Because he has life. It's amazing. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. Death is subject to this power. I would like, if you would just turn to Hebrews 2. In verses 14 and 15. I might have quoted this last time. I'm not sure. But Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood. This is speaking of the children that God had given him. And how that they had partaken of of flesh and blood, just like us here today. We see one another's flesh. We see one another here in the flesh. He himself likewise shared in that same flesh and blood that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject. To bondage, you know this is so true, isn't it? That as unbelievers, as those who are not attached to true life, we're alive physically. If we don't, if we're not in Christ, we are dead spiritually. And with that dead spiritually, we are afraid to die. There, there's absolutely no other way to get around it we are afraid to die either you're in ignorance about what comes after death if you're not afraid or you're in Christ and you see the victory that he has given to us because we are part of his life we have his life within us but here it is saying that it is him who had the power of death that is the devil the devil had the power of death or has the power of death and because we are afraid to die, we pursue all manner of dead religion. We pursue, because we know that we're fallible, we're, we're flesh and blood, and that we must go to the grave at some point, we pursue things that in an endeavor to become right with God. We, we pursue things, all kinds of things, all manner of things. Why? Because we are afraid to die. Now Christ comes on the scene in the incarnation. He took on himself flesh and blood so that he could die. See, he, he became what we fear to be. You see, we are afraid of our, of our pending death and then he comes and takes on life on himself, flesh and blood, so that he may die. And he takes up death like a tool, like a tool to be used. Incredible. He simply takes up death that through death. And we never hardly ever think about through death, we see death as if you know, an ending. But from scripture, it is through death for the believer. Amen? We go through the curtain. We go through the veil of death. We go through the valley of death. And Christ has said here that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death. Therein lies our victory because he destroyed him who had the power. It's a glorious truth. The life that is in Christ. If he would not have been God, he could not have taken his life up again. But through death, he prevailed over Satan and showed him and us that there is life after death. It was a tool that he took up to gain the victory. Over the enemy. Something to use. And then lay it down again. He, put, he Almost like he picked up death. Then he laid it down again. When he was done with it. This is. Our Savior. Our Lord. He. Has that power. This is a life of power. It is a powerful life, but it is life with authority over death. I, I can, my words fail me to, to plumb the depths of this of verses 17 and 18. But we see, therefore, my Father loves me. Because I lay down. This, is, this laying down of his life has his father's approval. It is his father's great pleasure. It has his father's exaltation. Remember, in verse 18, consider verse 18 in light of Philippians 2, in verse 8, where he says this way, Ephesians 2 and verse 8. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has also highly exalted him and given him a name that is, which is above every name. That is saying the same thing as John ten seventeen. Therefore, my father loves me. Because he has laid his, his life down. He voluntarily obeyed. And I believe this is what is meant here by this command I have received from my father. That he voluntarily obeyed his father's will in the purchase of, of the sheepfold, of, the, of, of his sheep. That God so loved us. That he loved his son more for loving us. Mm. And so, in this great power, he lays down his life that he may take it again. What a picture we have in John 11 of his power over death. Lazarus, come forth. And as one commentator said, if he hadn't been specific about Lazarus, everybody would have come forth. But he came, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. The, that gruesome, vile death that was beneath him, he condescended, as we heard this morning, to come in the incarnation to take on flesh and blood, so that he might prevail. Over the enemy who had the power of death. That he held over us. How many times has the devil told us, you're going to die, you're going to die. And it reminds us. And sometimes it's the, it's the, it's the Lord that's telling us that, that. That death is coming. But in Christ Jesus, brothers and sisters, we have it so clearly laid out here that we must not fear death. What a glorious truth this is. Therefore, there was a division again among the Jews because of these sayings. And many of them said, he has a demon and is mad. Why do you listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? See, there's this division Here, after these great statements from christ some said he has a demon and and hardened their hearts others said these are not the words of one who is mad or insane or who has a demon you know can a demon open the eyes of the blind no a demon would be more inclined to take your sight not to give it it is that which comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. And then we, as a culture, spend $12 billion to glorify demons. Unbelievable. May it not be named among us. No, a demon would be happy to take your sight. Actually, they are actively engaged in blinding the minds of those who do not believe, lest they should come. That is the work of of the devil and his forces and his angels to blind the minds of those who hear the gospel, lest they believe. And here to have someone accuse our Lord of having a demon is absolute blasphemy. This is the nature of this opposition that Christ always encountered in his ministry among the Jews. As we continue, he says, now it was the Feast of Dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter. Now, it's just a note there. This is not, this, this Feast of Dedication is not a, uh, a prescribed is not prescribed by, by God for the Jewish people. It was instituted; they believe it was instituted in about 165 years p- before Christ, as a as a feast of celebration for the um, rededication of the temple. Uh, this this is. Let me see. I think the last time I'm trying to remember where the last. I think it was in the Feast of Tabernacles. I'm trying to remember where that, where that was here. We have a note back a couple chapters in John that kind of marks the occasion. It's the Feast of Tabernacles. Here we have the Feast of Dedication, the only place I believe that it's mentioned in Scripture. Um, and they, they believe it's about two months between those two observances The one would be the Feast of Tabernacles that was prescribed by the Lord. But this Feast of Dedication here uh, would have been about roughly two months following. So there's a gap in this conversation. Uh, That's what we think is, we don't know how much time elapsed between verses 21 and 22. Now it was a Feast of Dedication in Jerusalem and it was winter. So it's a little, um, it's, it's interesting that we have the sheep discourse picked right back up you see that following his analogy to the jewish people about i'm i'm the good shepherd i lay down my life etc etc and then there's an interval and then he picks it right back up i I find that interesting and jesus walked in the temple and it you know it, it indicates here that that it was that you know it was probably cold it was, as it says, it was wintertime. And Jesus walked in the shelter of Solomon's porch. And this was where they had gathered, where the disciples were gathering early in the, in the uh, time of the early church even. And the Jews found him again. Then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, it's almost like they came at him again. You know, they came at him Uh, as a a group and surrounded him and they said to him how long are you going to keep us in doubt if you are the Christ just just tell us plainly it's almost like they came in force and, and almost like they were threatening him how long are you going to keep us in suspense basically is the is is the meaning of that why are you not willing to declare who you are just tell us plainly well, Jesus answered them, I have already told you. I have told you. And I've told you more than once. I have told you and you do not believe. If you don't believe my words, basically what he's saying, the works that I do, don't they show that, this is, that I am of a divine nature? That I have, that I have power that's not normal in, in humanity? Do not my works speak plainly? You want to hear me say plainly that I am the Christ, but my works do that. We have time and time again here, we have them, if you go back to chapter 5, we have the, the man by the pool of Bethesda. What a picture of divine sovereignty reaching in and bringing that man to healing. Now here we have in, in John 9, we have a, a statement of this blind man who was born blind so that the glory of Christ would be revealed in him. And they're saying, would you just tell us whether you're the Christ or not? You see how it doesn't stack up? They were intentionally not believing. They were intent to not believe. They were, um, what is the word I'm looking for? They were actually obstinately, intentionally going against what they knew to be true because he did not fit the mold he did not fit into their into their traditions the works that i do in my father's name they bear they bear witness of me now we come to why they didn't believe he says though you have all this great testimony of my life and my ministry And everything that I've done that you have witnessed personally. You know all these things. Yet you don't believe. But you do not believe because you are not mine. Isn't that amazing? Because you are not of my sheep. As I said to you, you are not of my sheep. But we read back in verse 16, that other sheep I have that I must bring. See, this, this comes back again to this understanding that there is a doctrine and a teaching of election. That there are those who will not come. And they manifest that they are not coming by their unbelief. Notice verse 27 My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me Now this life of the good shepherd as we I want to just I want to just take a few minutes here and point out some principles of the life of the good shepherd He says in verse 27 that my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me The life that these sheep had was manifested in how that they heard and followed. That's an important point. Because as we go down through here, we see that there are other characteristics of this life that are just amazing and blow us like out of the water, so to speak. But here he says that a characteristic of the life that I give to my sheep is that they hear my voice and not only that they hear my voice but they follow my they follow me they, they receive that truth and they obey and follow me that is a characteristic of the life that Christ gives to his children that they hear and follow now notice what he, what he continues here he says and I give them eternal life The life of the Good Shepherd is a given life. It is a gift to us. We do not have eternal life because we worked for it. No. It was given to us. This life of the Good Shepherd it is a gift to his sheep. It is a gift to his people. And I give them this. I give it to them. And notice that he says, another point here is that this life is a present life. This life is not, I will give them eternal life. No. It is to be had today. 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 You can have this life. You can have this life today. He says, and I give them. I currently give them. I will not give them. I do give them eternal life. It is a present life meant to be had now, not something that we look forward to. What we look forward to is a fuller expression of our redemption. But it is of the same kind and nature. You see, the life that we will have there in glory is of the same kind as we have here. And I think that's important that we understand that it is not a different thing. It's not some other state or nature. It is inherently the same quality. It is only in a different environment. It is in the environment of, of current tension, of current difficulty, of testing. We're in an environment of testing right now. And it's an environment of preparation. But it is a current, present tense life. Praise God. That you can and I can go through this life with, without the fear of death. That we can go through this life, through the difficulties and the trials that we have, with a current, present, eternal life. He says, I give them this. I give them this quality of life. Remember, he says, I came that you might have life and that more abundantly. And then the other is that this life is eternal This life is eternal. It's an eternal, it's of an eternal nature. And as we go down through this passage here in the last few minutes, we will see why it's eternal life. But this life is eternal And we, we, don't know how to, we don't know how to comprehend that. We don't understand eternity. We don't understand that there's a future that is unending, even though we believe it by faith. But we are unable to comprehend that 10,000 years from now, the life that you have currently in Christ, you will still have it then. The unending ages of eternity is, a, is an existence of life. It is a fullness of life. It is, it is that of an abundant life. It is in the very presence of life. And there is no death. There is no sin. There is no curse. But in this short interval called time, we can have this eternal life. You see, it should not be taught that we will gain some new element of life. No, we have life now. And it is eternal in nature. Because, remember, the one who gives us life is eternal. He is eternal. The good shepherd is from eternity past, without beginning and without end. And so when he gives us life, it is of the same nature and quality as his own eternal life. And then it is a secure life. It is secure. Notice what he says. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. I think that should have qualified for an amen. Never perish. Never perish. I will give them this sort of life, and this is what it means, that it's, a, it's an eternal life, and it is, that means that it will never perish. It's like he's repeating himself. How can you have eternal life if it could possibly perish? You see, so it's eternal life and they will never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. What a beautiful picture of your savior, of your shepherd in the hand of the shepherd. You in the hand of the shepherd, me in the hand of the shepherd. How much more intimate can you get? than being in the hand of the shepherd. And how much more secure is it if you know that you're not, you're not following after Him, you are intimately with Him, and, and you can't be snatched from behind Him. Or No, you are in His hand. No one can snatch them out of My hand. It's it's the nature of this life that comes from the good shepherd is a secure life. Once a sheep, never a goat. You see, we tend to I think if we understand our salvation properly, if we understand that our salvation came to us, it was gifted to us, then you should suddenly understand also that it's not your behavior or ability that maintains that life. Doesn't that make sense? That if you are given something and it's an eternal gift, but we tend to look at it from our perspective and the difficulties that we face, you see. We measure our salvation too many times by the difficulties of our life and even recognizing our own, our own inherent... I shouldn't say inherent but our, that, that remaining fleshliness that is still here. Remember, we're partakers of the divine nature. And we have escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. We have, we have escaped that corruption through this divine nature. And we have this life within us. And so this is a secure life. And for us to recognize that it is gift to is a gift to us. Why would he take it back? Why would he take his gift back? Well, he wouldn't. He doesn't. Now, one of the traditional um, points of resistance to this doctrine. Of eternal security is this idea that someone can live in opposition to the gospel and and profess to have been born again and profess to have become a sheep and be eternally secure. But remember, what did I say earlier? That a characteristic of the life of the sheep is hearing and following. Right? See, you never divorce the security of the believer from the following, the hearing, and the obedience, you see, that comes from the gift of life. We never never separate that. If you are not hearing the voice of the shepherd and following the voice of the shepherd, you have no right to claim the security of belonging to Him because you are not His. That's the point. You are following because you are His. He says, Jesus says, they will hear my voice and follow me. It doesn't say that they might follow me occasionally. Yes, we do stumble in our following, dear people. But this is a... This is a life-changing encounter with the God of life. And inevitably, if you do not believe in the security that Christ provides for his sheep, you will ultimately fall back on your own ability and your own strength. And I don't think you will ever have the confidence of your salvation. You're hoping. And that's not the biblical hope. You're hoping it won't rain on your picnic. But biblical hope is an expectation that comes from biblical doctrine. Something that God has said we can expect. And praise God we have hear the life of the shepherd given to the sheep it's not our own life and for us to to think that he will for some reason take that life back it's 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 antithetical to who christ is that he would give us a good gift and receive and take it away from us again you see we couldn't earn it so he gifted it to us And in that gifting is a a heart change, a desire to hear and to follow and obey. And now with that, there comes a security. It is an eternal life. And listen, they shall never perish. They will not go to that place of eternal torment. They shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. And this says anyone. You know, I'm, I had this conversation one time. I was talking about this topic, and there was probably more heat than light at that time. But I was talking about the security of the children of God. And I said that, uh, you know, no man shall snatch them out of my father's hand. And the guy says, yeah, no man. As if the devil could snatch them out of the Father's hand? Come on, there's no demon big enough to snatch us out of our Father's hand. And notice what he says. If he wouldn't have been enough, in verse 28, he says, My Father who has given them to me. You see, not only is your life secure in Christ, but it's because God gave us to the Son. You see... Now we have the Father who has given them to me. He is greater than all, you see. He who is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. What a beautiful picture of your security of your life the life of the Good Shepherd that you can have that is here for you're invited to participate today is the day of salvation hear and come and believe and if the Holy Spirit is calling you like Christ calls Lazarus out of the next chapter if the Holy Spirit is calling you just come just respond to this life and you can have it eternally And you can be done with the fear of death. You know, I I can't, I can't, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm, maybe there's a little bit of fear of death in me. I'm not sure. I'm just not sure if it is or not. But I can tell you this, it's not looming over my head. It's not out here like some big monster that I'm afraid to meet. No. You know what? If I were to die, I would be ushered into the presence of the Lord, you see. Um, May we be a little more bold about what our salvation is like. We have a wonderful future. It's secure. It's secure for us. I want to just say that, the, that the, the one who said, I have the power to lay it down and I have the power to take it up again is the one who said no one can snatch you out of his hand. The same one. The one who has the power to lay it down and to take it up again. That one has us in his hand. That, that's a glorious truth. Now, may we never abuse this truth. May we just simply, may we be humbled before God who has given us such a salvation. And may we hear and follow. Let's pray. Glorious Lord God, we we marvel at this so great a salvation. Thank you for the life that you give to us. Father, we we have the very life of the Lord Jesus in us through grace by faith. Father, we marvel at your great love. Lord, I pray that you would just minister your grace continually to us. That all here, under the sound of my voice, would have life and receive it from you and never glory in their own ability. Lord, we we love you, we praise you, we bless you. Through Christ we pray, amen.